Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be pumped! He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk everything racing from the past week. Uh, let me introduce you to my panel tonight. Joining me is Mr. Gray Warren, as always, from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, how are you? I'm doing great. Hope everyone else is. All right, and uh, also joining us once again, um, Gray's colleague over there, Richard Childress Racing, Formula, former Formula One um, um, person as well with Williams, Richard Uden. Great to have you back, Richard. It's good to be back. Thank you. All right, and also the uh, NASCAR correspondent for Motorsports Tribune, Mr. Seth Eggert in the house with us as well. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All right. Well, great to have everybody here. So we're uh, coming out of Talladega, which is always always a crapshoot of a race, always, uh, you know, produces surprises. And uh, Talladega in its history has produced a number of first-time winners over the years. And this weekend was no exception. Uh, we saw Ricky Stenhouse Jr. take his car um, to the victory there uh, for Roush Fenway. Um, the first victory for that team since 2014, I believe. Uh, so good great on the team but uh really nice piece of driving on stenhouse's part uh, on, on those final laps particularly the overtime laps so uh i'm gonna turn this over to to you gray and seth and uh richard you guys dissect this a little bit you know tell us about talladega yeah, what a race i mean i to tell you what terrific race kind of what the what, what the doctor ordered for for nascar the stands were full great terrific crowd and uh and, and beautiful day for a race, and, and what a race it was. Uh, you couldn't uh, you couldn't beat the action. A lot of lead changes. Uh, very competitive race. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, hats off to, to Ricky Stenhouse. I believe you said uh, 
and Seth can correct me on this, I believe that was Roush's first win since Carl Edwards won at Sonoma in 2015. Was that is that correct? Uh, 2014, because didn't yeah, uh, yeah, right. Carl run for Gibbs in 2015? Yeah, 2014, yep. you're and, correct. Yeah. And also, it was a last lap pass. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about... Uh, uh, I'm talking about Stenhouse. Oh yeah, oh terrific. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't ask for 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 it to set up any better. You know, we, the race went into overtime, green white checker, and uh, Stenhouse who had a fast car all week long, uh, you know, and and won the pole had, had was quick and was quick in a, an abbreviated practice, and uh, you know showed strength early on uh, in in the race, uh, and of course he he got kind of got shuffled back a little bit, and he got the nose. Kind of, kind of tweaked a little bit in a run in with with uh, Ryan Blaney, but uh, they were able to uh, to knock that back out, and make some make some uh, quick repairs on a pit stop, and it just you know I heard I heard him talking on the radio today, and it was just one of those deals where, you know, he, he had a great car, and that's that's what it starts with. You got to have a great car, but you know you got to be in the right lane at the right time. You got to get the brakes. And, you know, you got to, you know, you use ability and he made some tremendous moves there uh, after he after he was able to uh, to clear uh, to clear uh, Kyle Busch and get out front and, and keep the lead going down the backstretch and through three and four and through the trioval uh, to race back to the to the to the start finish line to win the race. But, you know, everything went his way. And that's the way it always is in these two in the in these particular races. You've got to have you got to have some luck, some luck. You kind of make your own luck, some of it, too. But, you know, what a great day for him. And, and, and then, of course, uh, Jamie McMurray, he, he continued strong runs for uh, Chip Ganassi's team. He was able to thread the needle uh, on that last lap with a daring move and, and, and get second place. But what a great run. That last lap was breathtaking. I mean, I think at one time uh, after they took the white flag, you know, through uh, turns one and two, uh, there was two rows of four abreast, and and you know, I heard Jeff Gordon make the make the remark on TV. He didn't know how how that was going to work out, but they they made it off turn two and down the backstretch, and it just was a tremendous finish. And, and hats off to to uh, Stenhouse. You know, he's a two time Xfinity champion, and I believe he won in his hundred and fifty eighth start. And really, you know, hats off to him for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, the great drive, but the perseverance. Uh, you know, he they've had some uh, lean couple of years over at Roush Fenway, and we've talked about it, you know, a lot on the show about, you know, through the first 10 races of the season, you know, the resurgence of uh, of uh, Roush Fenway and the good runs that but both he and he and Trevor Bain have had this year. So, you know, they're both solidly in the top uh, 15 in points, I believe. So, yeah, uh, good things happening over at Roush Fenway and uh, and and. A, you know, just just a great race, I thought. And I feel like it was a very popular win too. Just you know, looking at some of the yeah. uh, the tweets of congratulations from other drivers and whatnot, and uh, even you know some of the IndyCar guys um, get in there and say, you know, great win for Stenhouse. You know, Stenhouse joined uh, some of the IndyCar drivers when they did the uh, uh, American Ninja Warrior television show, uh, and they get to know Ricky, and uh, they all felt they're like he was a really again. good guy. <laughs> yeah, they're doing it again. Yeah, and, uh, and, I, and I think, I think Connor Daly's going to going to join them this time. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, and yeah, it was a popular win. You know, popular win, in, you know, among the fans, and a popular win, you know, amongst his peers in the garage too. So yeah, we, you know, good, good for Ricky Stenhouse. He's 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 showing some of the, you know, some of the, 
you know, some of what we kind of pictured for him, you know, several years ago when he when he when he broke into to Cup. And uh, I think you know he's he's part of that uh, that young gun uh, young guns coming along with uh, you know with with uh, Kyle Larson and and uh, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney. Uh, Joey Logano, those guys. So you know the sport's in good hands. You know we we, we may lose Junior, and and, and of course we're going to take a little bit of a hit from that. You know a little bit, but I think we're in good hands uh, with some of the kids coming up. Yeah, I think you, one yeah, thing. Kyle Larson's your Chase Elliott's. Yeah, we've got we've got you know stars coming to ranks. I think one that this uh, you know Ricky's victory at uh, Talladega has shown as well, and it sort of expands a little bit on us, is that resurgence by Ford this year you know in the past ford really they've only had two cars that can win a race the two other 22 and now with that you know the alliance with uh you know the stuart haas uh, organization and you know the way that's expanded so you know winning first you know the first race out with that organization at daytona and now you know roush getting in on the game and the, the ford have really upped, upped their uh you know the presence in nascar and I, I was led to believe that one of the reasons behind this is that um, motorsport within Ford has now moved away from their engineering budget into their marketing budget. So they have far more money to be able to to put into motorsport. Um, and I think we're seeing that with, especially with that um, Stuart Haas deal, because that won't be a cheap, cheap deal. You know, they wouldn't have left, uh, you know, Chevy for, for nothing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the old glory days uh, of, of Ford, too. Because you know their their presence is not only you know in, in NASCAR but you know worldwide with their with their Ford GT uh, yep. you know racing that in the 24 hours of Daytona they've had a strong uh, they got a strong uh, team headed over to Le Mans uh, next month so yeah I mean and two you know we've we and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about this too we've speculated on this show uh, for 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 the last year and a half you know with uh, with when it was made known that uh, Stuart Haas was going with Ford. And, of course, obviously Gene Haas has his, has his Formula One uh, operation going. And we were trying to think, you know, maybe that's laying the groundwork for Ford to, to re-enter Formula One. What, what do you think, think about that, Richard? It's something, I mean, it's certainly, as you say, it's something that's been discussed and something that's been talked about. But I think you look at the struggles that Honda have had, and I think that would probably scare another manufacturer coming off, you know, coming into Formula One. It's it's not as easy as, you know, perhaps it used to be with the old V8s or whatever it was. You know, now you don't just have the, these turbo engines are far more complicated, but you've also got the hybrid system thrown in there. And, you know, that's some, that's probably the budget for entering, you know, uh, becoming an engine manufacturer in Formula One probably would exceed the rest of all the other Ford Motorsports put yeah. together. Um yeah. So I think that's what would it'd be great for the sport, and it would be great for American interest. I think if there was an American driver coming through yeah. the Haas uh, market, then I, I think that would you know intensify the demand. But I can't really see anybody coming along that that line soon. And, and you know Haas are getting very much involved with Ferrari yeah. more and more so. So yeah, I don't think that that's something you're going to see anytime soon. Well, you yeah. know Haas Haas does have a young American driver in their development program. Santino Ferrugia out of Connecticut. Yeah. So he's yeah they he's 
you know, that he's obviously a few years away from sitting in an F1 car, but, you know, they, they, they do have that uh, young American in their development program. So, and, you know, Ford jumping in, if, if that were to happen, uh, would be a long-term project, something we certainly wouldn't see in 2018 or 2019, but perhaps, you know, 2020 and beyond giving the development time. But, uh, you know, Ford is starchly, uh, said they're not interested in IndyCar racing, um, but they really haven't given the smackdown note of Formula One when the question's been asked. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, no, I was just wondering, you know, because Ford's Ford has probably led the way of, of the American manufacturers in, in the hybrid, you know, their hybrid technology with their EcoBoost stuff. So I was kind of, you know, it kind of feels like it would be a kind of a, a natural avenue into it, you know, in in some ways. Absolutely. Now, Seth, before we get too far off topic, Seth they had a few more comments about Talaga. Yeah. yeah. So, for one, Stenhouse. Anybody else think of this as a redemption for him? Think about uh, about two and a half years ago, the Talladega then Chase race in 2014. He failed to qualify. That was back when we had the group qualifying at the super speedways. And of course, his first win has to come at Talladega. Where are the odds? Not only that, but did anybody else read about his father almost getting arrested? I, I did. Yeah. I did see that. He had to climb the catch fence to get to victory lane, and then they stopped him. Hey, what, what do you think you're doing? So. And, and the security card guard uh, didn't see his hard card. And on top of that, the uh, his father's uh, golf cart was stolen the night before. Yeah, finally, somebody, <laughs> one, yeah. guys, one of those guys had the foresight to – to call somebody of authority, and they told him, "Yeah, put him in a car and take him to Victory Lane." So, uh, you know, it all ended. It all ended well, but it's just another. You know, that's 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 one of those things that goes along with your with your first win that that you know Stenhouse, you know, and, and his family will never forget. But by the way, uh, I think Ricky was the eleventh driver to win his first race at Talladega. Yep, I mean, that's, I, you're right. Yep. And going back to uh, the luck he had, he narrowly avoided that big one. I mean, we had A.J. Allmendinger on his lid. Chase Elliott almost flipped over. Joey Logano almost flipped over. Eric Jones got some air in that wreck. Uh, and I want to say it yeah. took 18, Ken's 19 cars out of the damage in there, yeah. Danica yeah. Um, totally destroyed a car in that big wreck. Not, yeah, not, big her, not her fault at all. People like to blame the wrecks on Danica, but sometimes they're not her fault. <laughs> uh, well... A little bit of a sad note for Danica, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. Um, that was the 100th race she's crashed out of. Hmm. Not, I didn't so, realize that. not something to you get a trophy for. So, but speaking of, I want to I want to say one more thing about Danica because I read this today on the, uh, the one of those NASCAR sites with the the fake text. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was Danica was sharing with. Uh, with Ricky, the headlines, right? She's, oh, here's the headline from ESPN. Stenhouse Jr. gets his first major cup win. Here's the headline from Racer.com. Uh, former Xfinity champ, Stenhouse takes victory in Talladega. Here's the headline from TMZ. Oh, my God, two NASCAR drivers make out in victory lane. <laughs> so, well, there, there was actually a headline that says, uh, Danica Patrick's boyfriend wins Talladega race. <laughs> Well, you know what? Hopefully, hopefully with hopefully with a big win, maybe maybe people will just refer to Ricky Stenhouse as you know Ricky Stenhouse Jr., not uh, not Danica's boyfriend. So uh, 
But either and way, yet, she was she was very happy for him. She, but yeah, those two uh, as a couple are very supportive of one another. So and, and you know, Ricky's nice played. Ricky's taken all this very well. I mean, he's he's heard all the he's he you know he's he's kind of lived in, in her shadow for the last couple of years, and he's he's he hadn't let it affect him at all. And and you know, I heard him today on one of his one of his interviews, and he the kid's very well spoken, very gracious. Uh, and, and great for the sport. He's, he's going to be a, he's going to represent himself well and the sport. Absolutely. absolutely. One, uh, one thing I'd like to raise and uh, get a little bit of uh, you guys thoughts on, um, you know, super speedway racing, especially, and not just Talladega, it was highlighted, especially in the Xfinity race. Mm. You know, this is an expensive game and as great as it is to watch, you know, this close pack racing for want of a better word, you know, from an RCR point of view, we lost four out of six chassis in the Xfinity race and two out of three uh, during the cup race. And, of course, there was the Allmendinger uh, and McDowell. Um, I think Chris Buescher got away unscathed. But it's, you know, these races cost a lot of money in terms of wrecks and accidents. And wow. you know, for some of the smaller teams, I know there's a big reward for these races, but uh, especially Daytona 500. But... Um, you know, some of these smaller teams, if you lose the chassis, that can be an expensive, uh, you know, expensive game. Well, if I may. Not- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Not only did we have NASCAR at Talladega, we also had the ARCA series, and this yep. was their last race using the steel bodies. Starting next year, all tracks, it's going to be mandatory that they run the uh, composite bodies. And they tore up some cards in the ARCA race. Uh, Will Kimmel had a pretty hard hit. Uh, Noah Gregson had a pretty hard hit. Uh, Bobby, I want to say Bobby Gerhardt was involved in that one. Uh there were like four or five cars in one wreck, and it was a. I want to say two of them almost flipped. And in that race, we also had uh, Justin Haley from GMS Racing uh, running his first ever super speedway race to get uh, basically to be approved for the truck race later on this year at Talladega. And he ended up winning on fuel mileage at Talladega. <laughs> uh, how often do you say that? <laughs> not often, not at Talladega. So, because usually there's plenty of yellow to fuel the car. So, but um, so let's talk about Joey Logano and the encumbered finish coming out of Richmond. Um, so this is uh, one of the newer 
newer um, nuances of the NASCAR rule book uh, with the, the traditional as traditionally always they let the win stand, but now it's what they call an encumbered finish. So even though uh, Joey's got a win, he's not getting the free pass into the playoffs uh, nor the playoff points that go with that. So uh, I'm just going to turn it over to you guys to let's talk about the uh, encumbered finish and perhaps the um, brief history of uh, negotiating the NASCAR rule book. Well, one quick thing to, to, to before I step into this to, to talk to Richard's point he just made about the, the expense in, in, in speedway racing. I, I can only say that, you know, it's, it's always debated after every Talladega race. It seems like the same debate comes up. But the one thing I don't think I don't think we'll see any movement on it um, because. The stands were completely full. You couldn't have, you couldn't have shoehorned another another individual there, and I think that was that was great. The fans like it. The fans love it, um, and I think as long as long as it's it's like that, I don't think NASCAR is going to mess with that mess with that recipe much. To talk about the encumbered deal with with Joey, NASCAR has long, at least in the Cup Series, has had the long standing uh, thing with with. You know, once the race is done and the guy takes the checkered flag, he is the winner. Uh, Post-race inspection, they'll they'll throw the fines at them. They'll take money. They'll take points. They'll suspend suspend crew chiefs and whatnot. NASCAR has always had that from as far back as I can remember, and I've been around since the 60s. Uh, the, the last time I know of a win being taken away for NASCAR, and I only know this because of some research I've done uh, for it was a, piece, a, it was a, a Bush uh, Grand National race. They took one from I believe it was uh, oh gosh the eight car up at uh, Lonesome Pine or somewhere. Well, am I am I right about that? You are, but I was talking specifically in the Cup Series. It was Lee Petty versus Richard oh. Petty, and. Uh, Lee had argued about the scoring of the race, mm-hmm. yeah. and Lee ended up winning the argument. The only other situation that comes to mind is Wendell Scott, but we all know why well, that one happened. You're talking about two different things. You're talking yes. about a scoring dispute and not not the legality of a race car. The first Daytona 500 was disputed and settled three days afterwards. Exactly. We all, we all, we all know about that. But 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 in talking about a win being taken away because, you know, not because of a scoring dispute, but because of uh, an, uh, something found wrong with the race car. Uh, I, I think it would be the first ever NASCAR race. I know that happened. Yeah, the strictly stock thing. Yeah. But basically in modern history, the only time it's happened where a win was taken away was in a Bush Grand National race, I want to say in the in the late 90s, up at uh, uh, Lonesome Pine, and I and I, I'd have to go back and look. I re- I remember the circumstance, but the win was taken. But and that's the only time in in modern history in the in the big three touring divisions that one has been taken. But you know we're talking about a whole different game. You know game now with the playoff situation and that, and and of course they had to come up with a with a deal like that because. Basically, you know, it was NAS- people could take NASCAR's system and use it to beat them. So NASCAR had to come up with with something to kind of kind of take take a little bit of that away, and that's what they came up with this encum- encumbered finish, to where you're not you'll get the win, the win will stand in the record books, 
but you will not you will not get the full benefit of the win. Therefore, you will not get points toward uh, the playoff, or the the win will be credited toward your playoff standing. So that's what they did. They I think they brought that in last year. Uh, addressed that, and it's it's really uh, I think was it ever used last year? I can't remember. It, it was. I, it was not used last year. The first time it was used, I want to say, was earlier this year uh, in the Xfinity Series. Kyle Busch at Atlanta. His mm-hmm. finish was an encumbered finish there. Okay. Right, but but really, Kyle, Kyle's Kyle not Bush, running for the Xfinity Championship. Kyle's not. So. But, but it does this, affect the owner's championship. Right, you're right. Owner's right, yeah. But this, right, this is right, the first right, one right. that's really affecting the, the Monster Energy yeah. Series exactly. race winner. So. And, and basically, like what it what it really means is, if NASCAR did not do something this, the teams would use NASCAR's policies against them and would pull out all the stops. And you know, so what? They get their wrists slapped, but they're still in the playoffs. You see what I'm saying? So NASCAR had to come up with some kind of program to to you, you know, so these teams would would be something to to keep them from that temptation. Of, of doing that. And I think it's worked. I mean, I'm not going to, de- you know, other people debate, you know, they should have stripped them of the win. They should have done this. Hey, it's the way it always is. NASCAR's not going to take the win away. So this is the second best thing to do uh, in that, in that circumstance. I mean, you know, we can argue it to the cows come home of what's right and what's wrong, but you know, it's, it's their sandbox and we just play in it. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is from a you know a fan's perspective, you know, you've got a sport that's, you know, I think it's fair to say is looking for a new fan base, struggling for a fan base, want to encourage people to the sport. It doesn't make sense. You know, you have a team here which is, to my understanding, blatantly cheated. This isn't mm-hmm. a, oops, we, you know, something broke during the race and it made the car. This is a blatant circumventing of the rules, blatant cheating. And... Yeah, they've had a bit of a slap on the wrist, and as a technicality, they haven't got away with it. But when Jerry retires, it's still a win in an illegal car. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know the way NASCAR works. You'd, if you stripped every, if every car that raced every week went to the tech center and was stripped to the, you know, raw components, you'd struggle to find a perfectly legal car. But it's, it, it, it just confuses people. It does. Richard, well, I, agree, I agree completely. Because what you're talking about the evolution of the fan base, and I, I'm I'm part of the old guard that that that's just the way it always was. So I've accepted that myself, and I and, and of how it is. But I understand what you're saying. The newer fan that the sport is trying to garner or gain does not understand that, and and maybe it's time the sport revisit that and and start say okay. We're gonna we're gonna disqualify guys, you know, like, like they do yeah. in other forms of motorsports. It may be time for that. Well, I'm gonna go back to a story that involves Carl Edwards, uh, and this does get a little bit into politics, just a little bit of a warning. But <laughs> he, if I remember correctly, he was a part of an at- athlete council uh, that. I want to say either President Bush or President Obama put together. And it was literally the week after he was invited to the council and he accepted uh, was his team at that time, Roush Fenway, was busted for, I forget what it was. It might have been a skew issue. And he was penalized points and this and that. 
and he gets a call Monday morning asked to explain whether or not his team was actually cheating or what. And he explained it that it wasn't exactly cheating. It was more a technical issue. <laughs> I'm, I, again, I don't remember the entire story, but it's one of those things that one person's going to tell the story one way, another person's going to tell the story another way. Yeah. yeah uh, but and, speaking and, of penalties... Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But speaking of penalties, uh, we have one penalty that... I want to say NASCAR finally made a deal with as far as the fine's concerned. Carl Long is going to be back in the Monster Energy Cup Series for the first time in, what, eight years? Yeah, after he was uh, really just kind of banished from sport, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, he, he's run in the Xfinity Series with hand-me-down Dodges, Toyotas, Fords, and Chevys trying to make enough money to pay back that what two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah, he got slapped with a big one and uh never paid it and was never allowed to come back into the Cup series Cup Series garage from what I from what I understand. But yeah I saw something on, on social media this week about that. Some uh, GoFundMe thing. Was that part of it? Something? Uh it that's not a part of that. What it is is uh, it's a combination of, of several different things. Uh, from what I understand, he bought some of the old H. Scott Motorsports cars, and that's what he's running as far as chassis and bodies this year uh, in the Cup Series. But in order to run those, if he's going to continue running the Xfinity Series team for drivers who have already paid and... Uh, basically have races lined up with some sponsorship. Uh, he needs a essentially a GoFundMe page to help keep those rides in place while also running the cup races. Well, we just have to, I wish him success. I mean, I hope it, hope it works out. The guys out there trying to, trying to, you know, scratch out a living in this business and it's tough enough to do it. So, uh, you know, I hope it all works out and he can, he can, uh, he, you know, get back on the racetrack. You see, it's an interesting point there that you raise with, you know, especially these guys at the back of the field. Now, I don't know exactly the exact breakdown of prize money, but with that, uh, you know, the 22 car being deemed illegal or failing the post-race inspection, does everybody's prize money get bumped up to the next place? No. no? Is it uh, well, you also have to include, and I'm sorry for interrupting. No, 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 that's fine. But uh, you also have to keep in mind the non-chartered teams get paid significantly less than the chartered teams. Mm -hmm. So the prize money, even if you broke it down that little bit extra, the teams in the very back of the field, the non-chartered teams, they are not going to see pretty much any of that money. Sure. It's my understanding that the forfeiture, the money forfeited from any prize money would go into the point fund would be distributed and would be distributed among the teams at the end of the year. That's the way they used to do the fine money uh, and the forfeiture money. I thought some of it also went to uh, the NASCAR foundation, although I may be wrong on that. Yeah. I don't know what the new charter rules state, but that's the way they used to do it. Any fine money or anything, any, any, any money forfeited went into the points fund 
and was distributed uh, at the at season's end. Now that it may be, you know, a little bit different from what it used to be, but yeah, um, it's a, it, you know it's, it's not really a trickle down like you just alluded to. It's not really a trickle down because you know when this new charter stuff says it, they don't announce the the prize money anymore. Uh, and I don't think anybody other than the people who own the charters really understand how, how, how it, how it goes. But, uh, uh, it's that, that's kind of how it works. And, and like I said, the teams that aren't the uncharted teams, uh, do get significantly less. Now, what the way they make their money is in the back end of it. If they, uh, their incentive is to finish as high as they can in the points and, and sharing some of that bonus money at the end of the year. And not only that, but my understanding is the two lowest chartered teams in points, if they are the lowest for, th- I want to say it's three consecutive seasons, they risk NASCAR pulling their charter and that charter becoming for sale for other teams. Right. So they do have an incentive to finish ahead of chartered teams as well. Let me ask this question while we're on this with the penalties, okay? Because, you know, I know that NASCAR has both a pre-race inspection and and a post-race inspection. And I know that the post-race inspection includes uh, teardown, uh, what they call that. Um, so is I mean, this type of a violation uh, with Logano was a suspension violation. The the spacer pinion angle shim must be planar and in complete contact. Uh, that was the rule uh, that was violated there. Is that something that would not have been caught in pre-race inspection, or or is the the team doing something in between pre-race, post, well, pre-race inspection? It, and the, I'm just looking for the technical answer there. Between. Well, there's two things here. I don't know if. Th- uh, what I'm saying is right or not, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I do know they changed the rear gear and transmission before the race at Richmond. So I don't know if when they put everything back together, they didn't put it back together correctly. But I do know the ter- the uh, pre-race inspection isn't as thorough that uh, where the infraction was. You wouldn't have seen it at the track. You would only see it at the teardown. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, my understanding of this, uh, of where they, they failed, um, when you go through pre-race inspection, that's just a static inspection. They don't apply loads to the car. They're just checking geometry and bodywork, um, you know, to make sure it fits within the templates that NASCAR have. The issue that um, where this failed, and my understanding of the device or the, 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 the rule that they um, failed was they're trying to develop skew in the car, a yaw in the car, and that's under load. So when, when the car's turning, going through the corner, you get huge loads going through the, the um, suspension systems. And you, know, you can design it so that they move and they, they play uh, in, in certain ways that um, you know, go beyond what NASCAR would deem to be allowable. Yeah, and hence, you know, they've gotten in trouble too. Some of the teams have gotten in trouble for weaving Post race, going down you've the seen a lot race. of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and weaving, we, weaving back. And what they're doing, they're putting the car back under opposite load yeah. to move everything back to the to to the to the position it's yeah. supposed to be uh, in. I, I can't remember the exact oh, race, but um, it was. I think it was 2015. Jimmy Johnson won the race, and you heard the uh, you know the sponsor or the crew chief turn around to him and say, "Right, Jimmy, you know the procedure." You know, so he'll do certain things like 
you know, they don't like them or t they've been told repeatedly not to burn up the rear tyres because that shreds the rear bodywork and it can damage a lot of the suspension uh, and very, you know, performance sensitive aspects of the car. And they also don't like drivers, you know, backing up to the pit wall and, and you know, revving the engine and, and you know, again, damaging parts of the car you'll you'll see there's the weaving as, as gray mentioned but mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner another one that you'll see sometimes is coming down pit road post race they stamp on the brakes and almost like lift the back of the car off the ground mm -hmm. and again that's a, a method or a technique for resetting some of the rear geometry in the car and another one which i know dale jr pointed out uh, i want to say it was a week or two ago was he knows that at least the Penske, and I think he maybe said the Roush cars, I don't remember, were also downshifting very hard on the cooldown laps. Yeah, yeah, same thing. It just it just put you, you had that, that, that stark transfer of weight and energy in the car that moves things back into the original position that, that, that they were. You know, this kind of stuff is, is not a new, I, I, you know, I go back to the days of when when all the when the teams were flirting with traction control and hiding traction control in the car. And one of the things that they used to say that's that's kind of what led to the old burnouts and stuff. You know, and the spinning donuts and stuff through the grass and everything is people were using that using those occasions to, uh, to you know to get rid of the evidence in the car of the traction control devices that they had. So that's that's folklore and uh, if you want to call it that but that's that's been long discussed and goes back you know to another era in nascar when when people were cheating were cheating cheating that way too so uh there's always something that you know this this is we talk about cheating all the time people give us but it is it is part of the sport it's part of the very fabric of our sport stock car racing it's always been that way it doesn't make it right but it's always been there uh, you can, there have been books written about cheating in our sport and some of the things that have gone on, you know, over the years and the things that people have done and the devices they've come up with. And it just goes to show you that, that the ingenuity in the sport, even though the rule books get thicker and they try to close the loophole, there's always ingenuity in the sport. And Richard can speak to this, uh, you know, uh, you know, on, on, on different levels. But it's it's always going to be there that 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 quest for the edge, you know, or, or, or that that edge you gain. And I think, and this is without trying to be, um, you know, controversial anyway. But at times, if you look through the NASCAR rulebook in detail, at times it's very very grey the areas and 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 the terminology that they use in in the rulebook. So at times they almost open themselves up for for teams to to push the limits and to try and exploit these loopholes. Um, you know, the, the NASCAR rulebook is, is written in such a way that it'll say a part has to look like this drawing. Well, okay, how do you interpret that drawing? And there's, maybe it's not a dimension drawing, so you can interpret that in your own way. And 
it, it's a very, very vague thing. So at times it's quite hard for a team to sit down and, and, and know what areas they can and can't exploit. And a lot of parts, especially the key suspension parts, are actually submitted parts to NASCAR. So if a team comes up with a new lower control arm, for example, that will get submitted to NASCAR and NASCAR will turn around and say, yes, this is approved for competition. And then when, um, you know, pre-race or post-race, NASCAR will check to make sure that part is in the parts database. Yeah, like I said, NASCAR's done a lot of things in recent years to kind of close a lot of the loopholes and stuff. The, the chassis are certified, like are certified, like Richard just alluded to. A lot of the parts have to be have to be prior approved, uh, and, and a lot of components they have to be serialized. Uh, they're given a part number that is in NASCAR's database, and all that stuff has to check out. So you know, it's still it's still there. You know. Uh, and people still push the envelope. I mean, it's every week there's something. And something else, which this goes back to uh, Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick and the penalty they had earlier in the year. Uh, not only does the part have to be approved and have to be in the database, but it has to be placed on the car the way it was presented to NASCAR. It can't be adjusted, and it also can't be in a different position. Yeah. It has to be as drawn, essentially. And therein lies the rub, too, because some of that is left. Some of that, what you just talked about, is left to to interpretation. It is certainly a cat and mouse game between the teams and the and the <laughs> series there. It has been for years, like you alluded to, Gray. So um, we've got um, – I want to talk about Kyle Busch a little bit. Um, he was disappointed. Had a very strong car at the uh, at the closing stage of the race. Uh, he was not exactly graceful in defeat, but we expect that from Kyle. But this is now um, we're how many races in, and Toyota only has one on the books. That with Martin Truex. Um, this when a year ago, um, you know, Gibbs was the team to beat. So uh, they've obviously got uh, got strong cars there. Kyle's run up front, but uh, he's reaching a frustration point. Um, where he just can't seem to get it in victory lane. So is it is it that the fours have just bested the Toyotas now, or is it just dumb luck on the Gibbs team? I think it's I think a combination it's, you know, of... Yeah, a combination of a lot of things, too. I think Ford, like Richard talked about earlier, you know, with with the addition of uh, of uh, the Stuart Haas guys, the resurgent of, resurgence of Roush, I think the Roush-Yates engine package has always been stout. We've always seen, you know, we've, we've always talked about the, the, the good power they make. I think what's what's we've seen is Stuart Haas bringing the, all their resources to bear in a Ford now. We knew how well they ran in the Chevrolet. So now that's, that's kind of transferred over to the Ford camp. And I think, you know, Roush is up their game in chassis development and, and, and aero development and has gotten their cars better, better, better as well. Uh, you know, we talked about a couple of years ago, I'm going to take a, a year and a half ago, we talked about the early season woes of, of Joe Gibbs. And then I think well, this was the year that Kyle Busch was hurt, you know, and missed the first third of the season with injury. And how that team just, the, the, the Joe Gibbs team just wasn't clicking. You know, they weren't, they were losing races. Then they go to Sonoma. You know, of course, and and it starts that streak, uh, and from that point on through like uh, through last year, Joe Gibbs won over half 
the races. That team, to, as a as a group, won half the races. So yeah, they're they're you know they're a little bit down right now. I mean, I don't, I you know, maybe not in performance. Certainly, luck has not been on you know been on their side. They've lost they've lost a few races they should have won possibly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think they'll turn it around. I mean, I don't think it's uh, you know it's any you know they're they're getting hitting the panic button over there. Well, also. Uh, if you look at Chevrolet as another example, even though they lost Stuart Haas Racing, look at how Ganassi has had a resurgence as well. Almost like all the resources that went to Stuart Haas Racing, the four teams there, all of that is now going to uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, or at least that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and, and, and we've had some strong runs with... You know, of course, Jimmy Johnson's won two races. Uh, Chase Elliott has had has 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 had some some good strong runs. Uh, of course, Ryan Newman's picked up a win for for the RCR camp at, at Phoenix. So yeah, I, I think we've got I think we've got a good parity among the among the makes. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, like I said, you know, Toyota's had has lost a few, had given a few away probably. So I think yeah, I think um, you you can't ask for any more uh, if if you're a Toyota fan or Chevy fan or a Ford fan, it's pretty it's pretty even, and you're getting to see um, see all the make shine at a, a time or two. Absolutely. Now, Seth, uh, you and I and, and Graham Rich were talking about uh, some of uh, the fan fan based things at the racetracks, uh, and you wanted to kind of get into the discussion about uh, the way souvenirs are sold and marketed at the tracks. So I'm just gonna yes. I'm just gonna let you take that away because I, I think this is good news, but I won't spoil well, it for you. Well, going back a few years ago, uh, Fanatics won the contract, and uh, it was a 10-year contract that they were going to take over the souvenir sales at the track. Slowly, they did away with the souvenir trailers and brought in what they called their Superstore tent. At first, it was huge. It was huge at Charlotte. It was huge at Daytona. It probably was a good... I forget the size that they had uh, listed, but it, it was a good size store. And then 2016, they downsized. It was smaller at Daytona. It was tiny at Martinsville, which at Martinsville, granted the way the track is laid out and how small the track is, uh, they do it by uh, seating availability. Bigger the track, bigger the store. That makes sense. However, uh, merchandise sales has been going down, and some of that is clothing, some of that is the die cast, some of that is sheet metal. I mean, it's across the board. Uh, I've talked to some people in the industry, some with Lionel, mostly with Lionel, who make the die cast. Uh, They've had some of their product damaged at the souvenir tents. Uh, unfortunately, at the souvenir tents, it's mainly volunteers that Fanax hires to watch, make sure no one's stealing anything, make sure no one's damaging anything. Well, a lot of them didn't know that the die casts themselves range in value depending on the number in the back window. So fans would sit there opening box after box after box of die casts trying to get uh, what's called the door number, which is 
a number stamped in the back windshield that matches the car number. And that increases the value about three to four times. Well, now... But of Fnatic course, opening, bringing, all, opening all the boxes decreases the value. Exactly. Right, a, right. And B, especially if they don't put them back in their boxes or if they're just dropping them on the ground. I mean, there's a lot of different stories that went with the, uh, the issues with that. It almost sounds like shopping at a Walmart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly what it sounds well, like. <laughs> well, Fanatics also had their own exclusive ones that only they could sell. So that made a whole nother mess altogether. Moving on from that, uh, a lot of fans also complained that they missed the communal experience that the trailers brought. I'd hear it all the time on the SiriusXM NASCAR radio channels and their shows. I'd hear it a lot when I've gone and hung out with fans as recently as about two weeks ago when I went to the Travis Pastrana K1 Speed announcement where he announced he was going to run the truck uh, at uh, Vegas. And they're going to have 11 tra- uh, trailers at Charlotte. I want to say it's for both the All-Star Race and the Coke 600 weekend. And they're slowly, it seems like they're going to do a hybrid situation. Which, from the sound of it, they're going to have the expensive merchandise on the trailers and all of the clothing in the tent. Which, to me, the all, the tent was good, especially for the clothing, because they had every single size. You didn't have to go to trailer A, which had, say, maybe small, medium, and large. And if they didn't have your size, which may be XL, have to go to trailer B or trailer C, depending on the driver. So, to me, the tent did have its ups and downs. But it sounds like they're moving towards a more hybrid approach. So these say they're bringing eleven trailers to Charlotte, right? Or haulers? Yes. Are these That's are these trailers? Are these all owned by fanatics? Because I know yeah. I know for for uh, years and years I've been going to races. There's always uh, you know they, independent guys that have their haulers that are they're usually outside the track and whatnot. Well, are all all those, my, those guys pushed out of NASCAR with this? Or? No, no. Uh, what it is is. It depends on the track. Uh, in this case, the 11 trailers that I'm talking about are owned by Fanatics. They're going to be rewrapped from whether it's the generic white Fanatics wrap or there was even one that had a NCAA Final Four wrap. Uh, uh, those are going to be on the concourse with the 10 or midway, depending on what track we're talking about. Uh and let's take Charlotte Moore Speedway, for example. On the midway, you're going to have the tent, you're going to have uh, the fan zone, and you're going to have the trailers. Across the street from the drag strip, you're going to have all the independent people with their own tents, some with their own trailers, some just with tables selling their own either secondhand merchandise, die-casts, shirts, etc., or some with as Dale Jr. has been calling out recently, some of the knockoff merchandise, which is some shirts that are fan-made. Right, yeah. So, well, it sounds like um, they're they're listening to the fans and bringing back the experience that you know that I remember from going to NASCAR races, which is going from trailer to trailer and 
each each trailer would kind of be team specific. You'd have your you know your Jeff Gordon merchandise here. The next one you'd have your Dale Earnhardt yeah. merchandise. So, um, right. or what have you? So, I, I got a question for Richard. In Formula One, how, what what the because we don't know, but what's the fan experience like that at a Formula One race? Do they have the do they have souvenir uh, and and selling driver and team merchandise at at the track? Is it? Oh is, yeah, it's is, a is it sim- very similar. Um, are you, one of the things you, you've got as an advantage there, in a way, is that. Um, the tracks are a lot, lot bigger. So you've got far more real estate um, to have these mm-hmm. um, sort of tented villages or whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and typically they're actually run by each individual team. So Mercedes will have their own tents, uh, Ferrari, Red Bull, Williams, McLaren, they'll all have their own setups. And you'll have some that are um, independent um, setups, but it typically is um, all very official because these places are so big and it's such a different atmosphere. You don't have, you know, these little pop-up tents just down the street because everything's so enclosed, you know, all the yeah. parking and all the, the camping grounds are all within the, um, you know, formal facility. You don't really get, um, you know, too much of the um, sort of knockoff material. I mean, you get a bit of it obviously, but, and it'll be interesting to see what happens under the new structure. Yeah, but certainly, I, I can... historically, it's all very tightly controlled. I mean, you know, you'd be paying $40, $50 for a T-shirt just because it says Lewis Hamilton on it or something. Um, I, can see it. I can see the branding being very more, the branding over there being more restrictive or more... Uh, uh, and it's a different It's a different mentality as well because... Um, what's the word? Um they play to a diff. They they play on their brand in a different way. Um, you know, the Ferrari will play on their historic. Um, mm-hmm. There's a statue within the sport, and you know, teams like Williams and Mercedes, especially McLaren, will will play on the um, um, high tech nature and their precision, and you know. Uh, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know recently McLaren have had um, Hugo Boss and, and people like that. I think they've lost Hugo Boss actually, and Tag Heuer, and I think Tag Heuer have now gone to Red Bull. If I'm if I'm right in saying, yeah, that's and, correct. Yeah, Red Bull. And Williams have um, Hackett as well, which is a London-based um, men's out tailors. And there's a, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but there's a promo video they did with the um, Williams pit crew all dressed in suits and tie and <laughs> all their finery sort of thing. It's quite an impressive thing. But they, they play to it to a slightly different market. And to that extent, you don't have fans clambering all over a souvenir stand to get you know, a specific yeah. um, you know, number. It's far more refined than that. <laughs> well, I, 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 I get your drift on that. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I'm trying to envision the, the Dale Jr. fan sitting with his T-shirt in the, in the stands, swigging down a, a few beers and hooting it up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have one specific case, at least for the diecast that I was talking about, which uh, this happened at this year's Daytona 500. They had 22 diecasts, a specific 22-car run, which means only 22 uh, cars were made with this specific stamp, all of which were autographed by Joey Logano, and they were Joey Logano cards from this year. 
Of the 22 cars, 12 were damaged or destroyed by people looking for number one or number 22. That's, you know, that's number one. And, Very disrespectful on the part of those fans to just tear the stuff up. But, you know, like, like you said, the, the, the folks working there to allow that to happen. So um, it's probably good to keep them thing in trailers uh, where not anybody <laughs> could just grab them. So. But uh, I, I'd like to move on from this topic because we've got uh, only got about 10 minutes left. Uh, we've got a little bit of IndyCar news and some Formula 1 to discuss. So uh, we're going to NASCAR. We're going to Kansas next. And, you know, as I look back at the... Uh, I think we've been in Kansas since about 2001. Is about right? Yeah. Um, and some of the, you know, we've got some of the former winners there. Logano's won there. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy's won a couple times. Kyle Busch has won there. Keselowski's won there. Um, Harvick's won there. Um, so, um, you know, with that being said, um, Seth, I'm going to let you pick first. Well, he... He may have had a little bit of a temper tantrum after the race this past weekend, uh, saying that Kansas would be a real racetrack. But I think Kyle Busch will actually pull out the win this weekend. And I think he's running the Red Nose Day car again for uh, the Red Nose Day uh, uh, event. The Walgreens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, All right, so Kyle Busch for you. Um Richard, you're going to go last since you picked the winner last time. So, <laughs> great, great, you could be next. You know, this is a, this is a Saturday night show. Uh, I don't think we've run on a run a night race yet, other than to go back to uh, to the Clash back in uh, in February. So this will be the first Saturday night race, and this is going to start a uh, the next three races will uh, will finish under the lights. So uh, including the All Star race. So it's gonna that's that's gonna be neat uh, to start getting back to a little Saturday night uh, racing. Um, gosh, I'm gonna say uh, right now um, I'm gonna have to steal your pick, uh, Frank. I'm gonna say I, I like that I like that that blue deuce. I think uh, you know he's he they have shown strength and of course going back to some some what he's run. And I tell you, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna talk myself out of it. The, the blue deuce. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the first, my first pick. Who's next? I'll go Frank? with mine. I'll go with mine while we're waiting okay. for Frank. Oh, I'm right uh, here. Gosh, I was talking. Oh, yeah. I was sorry. talking with the mute button on. I've just been talking away and not realize you can't hear me. So, <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. There's a guy out there with an encumbered finish who needs a real finish to get into uh, this playoffs, and that's Joey Logano. That's the other Penske car. I'm gonna go with him. And then you Richard. don't waver far from the Penske cars, do you? Hey, they win. They win races. He does what he has to. There you usually go. When before, usually when we all pick them before he gets a chance. That's all right. It's okay. I like the Penske cars. Nothing wrong with that. All right, Richard. Who, who you got, Danica? Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for the 78. It's the home race, I guess, even though it's a few well, hundred miles away. Um, I think I'm going to go. Uh, for Martin Truex Jr. to win that one. And on a side note, I'd like to say, I'm, and I've got to say this because my wife will be listening, I'm the biggest winner ever at Kansas City Speedway because that's where I met my wife. All right, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so guys, let's, uh, let's talk about IndyCar for a bit. So uh, Yunko's Racing uh, with a two-car two Chevrolet effort has... Um, Announced their drivers for the 500, and those drivers will be Sebastian Saavedra 
and Spencer Piggott. Now, Spencer Piggott runs uh, the series uh, with Ed Carpenter Racing. He runs all of the uh, street and road course events, uh, and Ed uh, drives the car um, on the oval tracks. Um, They used to own five chassis. Now they own four after uh, New Garden's bad wreck at Texas last year. Uh, So they, they really don't have the resources to run three cars at Indy this year, so it's going to be Ed um, and Jerry Hildebrand in the uh, Carpenter Cars leaving Piggott free to pursue this ride with Junkos. Now, um, Piggott, a uh, young American driver, uh, drove for um, Junkos Racing during his uh, Mazda Road to Indy year, so he's familiar with the team. Um, and in Piggott, what Junkos Racing gets is a guy who's, with the with the series currently currently a series regular um and this is um Junkos's first effort um at the top tier of IndyCar racing so uh to have him there as a guy with the experience of how things work that's going to be great uh, the second driver Sebastian Saavedra uh what they get with Saavedra he's got a couple years of experience he sat out last year um in the past he's driven for everybody from Ray Hulch and Assey to uh some of these other teams but he brings quite a bit of funding um, he's, he's got a great benefactor in um, Gary Peterson, who uh, believes in Savater's career and is uh, bankrolling this with the, um, the AFS uh, sponsorship. So good on them. And then car number 33 will be Buddy Lazier um, in a, a Chevrolet engine. Buddy, the 1996 500 winner, uh, making another shot at the 500 uh, to be the car number 33. So we've got the field full um, this weekend. The uh, Indy cars will take to the road course. Uh, for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Um, I went to that event last year for the first time. I didn't go to the first two. I went to the one last year, and I really enjoyed myself. I, I, it was just a totally uh, different experience. Um, you know, I'd been to the road course one of the hills at Formula One there, uh, but uh, it, to, to see the Indy cars there uh, with the Indy car crowd, uh, it, was a, it was a totally neat um, experience to kick off the month of May. So we'll be heading up there again this weekend to do that again. So, And... Um, in other news, Seth is telling me Danica Patrick is running the Wonder Woman car this weekend in anticipation of the release of that movie. And Formula One will be in Spain, a home Grand Prix for uh, Fernando Alonso, who we all know will be um, running the Indianapolis 500 uh, later in the month. Um, in anticipation of that, Oriol Servia, who will be running the Indy 500 uh, with Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan, and Mark Miles, the uh, CEO of Holman & Company, who run IndyCar, spent last week in Spain uh, doing interviews talking about Alonso and the Indy 500, and the response was just absolutely incredible. Um, there were no less than, I think, 35 articles written uh, based on um, what Miles and Serbia had to, to come to kind of kind of educate the folks over there in Europe about uh, the Indy 500 and what they're going to see with Alonso. So, uh, again, you know, they're they're – predicting um great ticket sales the tickets are moving fast for the 8500 they're looking possibly to come close to matching last year's sellout so all good news there I wonder if alonzo will have a tent or a truck selling selling t-shirts at uh, at the indy 500 <laughs> well i tell you what i can i imagine michael and michael and his team at at uh andretti and and they're all they they've all got a got a plan worked out for that that, that, that should be huge I mean, when you think of all the, the ancillary stuff going on along, you know, along with him being there, that should be a, that's going to be quite a, quite a two weeks in, uh, 
in May. Yeah, absolutely. Well, IndyCar, they have all these souvenirs. Are They have the team-by-team team trailers. Every team has their mm-hmm. own. And then the series has their own. There's the Verizon yep. Indy, IndyCar series. And then there's the Speedway has their own licensed stuff, too. Yeah. So, But mm-hmm. I can imagine that right now there is somebody with those Andretti folks um, with boxes and boxes of bright orange Gildan shirts that are being screen printed with McLaren <laughs> uh, Andretti Indy 500 logos for sale, and I'll I'll probably come home with one. I'm not going to lie to you. So, um, <laughs> hey, so well, let's uh, let's let's pre let uh, let's let um, Richard kind of give us a little preview of uh, of uh, Spain this weekend. Absolutely, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, it's the start of the, the proper Formula 1 season, the European season, which is, is historically has been when you see a lot of the teams bring their first big uh, round of updates to the track and you'd see how people have reacted to the, the, to the flyaway races. But you probably now as the sport evolves and uh, the, the bigger teams have bigger budgets you, and simulation tools work so well and there's the Bannonine season test, testing now, you you were seeing you know between Australia and and Russia the, the cars on on the Mercedes and the, the Ferraris the changing the revolving. You typically your chassis won't you won't return to the factory post um, or between leaving for Australia maybe ten days before the race and then coming back from the in this case Russia. Uh, you know the main chassis won't come back, but these cars are so modular that rear wings, front wings, suspension setups. Um, you know they can all be developed uh, between the races, so there's not potentially such a big shuffle in the in the you know the, the hierarchy of the grid that uh, you'd see uh, in in past years. I think the thing that's going to be interesting this you know heading into Barcelona is your tire management and and how they work. I know Daniel Ricciardo said the tires are going to be pretty much useless at uh, at Spain, so if that means just a one-stop race as you saw in Russia and a bit of a parade again. Uh, I, I'm not sure on, on that front. Uh, you know, these guys now and these teams are getting so good at managing tyres and predicting the way the tyres work that um, the concept of having these hard and soft compound or primary and alternate compounds has sort of lost a little bit. You know, the novelty of when it first came out has has sort of gone away. Um, and also, the teams test at Barcelona exclusively during the winter, so you know they've got it down. You know, they know setups, they know, you know, aero packages. Um, and it's typically, uh, last year you had that excitement with the two Mercedes, obviously taking themselves out at the start of the race. And, um, you know, Max Verstappen winning his first race for Red Bull Racing and Kimi trying to, um, you know, hunt him down towards the end of the race there. But, um, you know, it's, it's never the most exciting race of the season, and um Unfortunately, but you never know. Uh, there's always uh, an opportunity for uh, for something a little bit different to to come up this year. But uh, it's, it's I think it's lost, as I say, the way the teams develop now. It's lost a little bit of interest from a technical side to see what teams have come up with. Um, you know, in time for Barcelona, I remember going back a few years. I believe it was Barcelona, where I'm going to say 2011, 2012 when Mercedes first introduced that like fin rollover hoop, which you see on the Sauber now. Uh, I don't think they introduced it at the start of the season. I think it was at the Spanish Grand Prix that they first introduced that. But uh, I don't think you're going to see such big changes this year. Who do you like this weekend? I that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I like been, Vettel. I yeah, like Vettel this weekend. Um, so I you know, maybe 
Maybe uh, you know Hamilton's been um, you know was scolded a little bit post uh, Russia, and he's uh, you know with, with Lewis, you never know how he's going to react. Sometimes when he has a bad race, he goes off and sulks for another two or three races, and then sometimes he comes back and destroys everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to get with Lewis. If it's the I'm going to destroy everybody, Lewis, then I think it'll be Hamilton's race. If it's I'm going to have a sulk for a few races, then I think it, I think Vettel's the guy to win. Yeah. I think Kimi might emerge uh, this weekend. Just, you know, he had a good, you know, you like to talk, talk about he, he ran there, ran decent there last year. Of course, the course that you didn't have to contend with the with the Mercedes, but he, uh, that was a spirited race for him. But he finished second last year, at, uh, I believe, to, to Verstappen. Yeah. yeah. And he's had some, he's had some decent runs this year. And uh, I'm thinking Kimi might, uh, might shine this weekend. Been a while. Been a while. He's way overdue for a win, and that Ferrari is uh, much better than it was a year ago. So, Seth, you have any thoughts? Uh, when it comes to F one, not this week. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, guys, uh, we are in overtime, green white checker time. So, we'll just go around, uh, go around the table with your final thoughts for the week, and then we'll sign off shortly. So, uh, Richard, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, your final thought for the week. Um, you know, anything we've talked about or anything to look forward to next week? I, I think the main thing to take from the last uh, last seven days is, as, as we mentioned a few times today, there's packed, packed grandstands at Talladega. You know, for, for a sport that's supposedly, you know, struggling for a fan base and struggling to get people through the gates, and uh, it was great to see. That's, uh, you know, more of that. Excellent. Now, Gray, Gray, what do you got for a final thought for the week? Oh, I, I, I concur. That was great to see the fans, and we got a great weekend for most fans this weekend. We've got... The, the the Grand Prix, we've got uh, NASCAR on Saturday night, and we've got, uh, I guess, uh, we got the uh, Indy Grand Prix on, uh, well, that's next week, right? That's not that's not this weekend, it's the following weekend, correct, or is it this weekend? When is it, when is the, when is the Grand Prix of Indy? Is that this weekend? I think weekend? it's this weekend, yeah. It's this weekend, yeah. It's yeah. yeah. third, the 13th, yeah. It should be on Saturday, right? Right. That's correct. Yeah. That's yeah. Good to race on Mother's Day. So I, I lost. I lost my dates there. Okay. So good. Yeah. Uh, great weekend of racing. So yeah. Yeah. Be by the TV. Absolutely. Now, Seth, what are your final thoughts uh, for the weekend there? Besides the poor people tearing up diecast that are not <laughs> tear to your eye. <laughs> uh, the truck series is back in action, and Kyle Busch is running his second of five scheduled races. All right, good for Kyle Busch. I mean, you know, sometimes when <laughs> sometimes when he has those primers, uh, you know, races the trucks and the Xfinity really translates well. He hasn't had a, a good luck on a Sunday yet this year, so uh, yeah. And that's why I picked him. That's why you <laughs> right. picked him because he's overdue for a win. So he, anyway, he's coming into this truck race mad. So yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, and on, on a real racetrack, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, my, my final thought is just uh, it is it's the month of May again, you know, and I'll be spending the next couple of weeks in uh, uh, driving back and forth to Indianapolis, looking forward to the Grand Prix, looking forward to all the excitement um, that that every year brings. Uh, looking at, looking to see how Alonso does. Uh, track will open up for practice a few days after the Grand Prix, uh, and and really interested to see what kind of speeds we'll be looking at this year. So um, the the speedway record, I believe, is two thirty six at Back in like 1997, uh, we were we were flirting with 232 last year. Um, I, I don't know if we can get to that 236. I don't know if we can break the track record, but we're gonna we're gonna see some some good fast speeds in the month of May. So, 
With that being said, I want to thank all you guys. Thank you, Gray, Seth, Richard. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you guys a ton. Uh, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Again, you are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to like, thank all the listeners that tune in. And we'll be back with you in a week to break down uh, next weekend of racing. Good night, everybody. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.